0: For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins.
1: Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said,
0: Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell.
1: When I scored a touchdown, they probably put my name in the newspaper. People probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat?
0: Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards Ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards Celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards Celebration. All one word. These are challenging times and we respect your unwavering commitment to your students. At Amplify, we are working especially hard to support you. And as we all grapple with what it means to focus on the science of reading in a new world of remote learning, we're committed to walking with you through the unknown. Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. Join us as we talk with experts to explore what it takes to develop joyful, confident, and capable readers. Making a shift to reading science-focused instruction takes hard work and commitment. Jared Miracle from Jackson-Madison School District in Tennessee joins us to talk about how his team made literacy a commitment kindergarten through 12th grade. The district dove in, both facing what they hadn't done and then shifting their focus on literacy using the simple view of reading. This episode marks one of the first to highlight the work of practitioners. Well, hey, Jared, thanks for being on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, I've been looking forward to it.
0: I'm we are just really glad because we've spent a lot of time talking about what is the science of reading and the details of the science of reading even pulling things into middle school. But what we haven't done is we haven't really talked with somebody that's a practitioner that's doing the really hard work of implementation so we're going to dig into that, but before we do that, I really want to ask you how in the world did you end up in this early literacy space.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I became. Chief Academic Officer of Jackson Madison County Schools in Tennessee, which is in West Tennessee, in the summer of 2017. And prior to that, I worked for a nonprofit organization called Instruction Partners that's based in Nashville. And we did a lot of district support work. And one of the common trends that we saw in a lot of places was a lack of early literacy strategies that were grounded in the science of reading, so uh, in order to be able to support those districts and and identifying a remedy for that you know I had to get really comfortable with with the research in order to you know pull up beside other district leaders and help them figure it out so that really pushed me you know down the rabbit hole and and started doing a lot of a lot of my own research around this topic
0: yeah that's really cool um that you've been able to see it other places other than the context that you're in right now yeah. in Jackson Madison um, Tell me just a little bit about the context of your work and you know why early literacy became a focus where you where you're at now
1: Sure well our district team came in in very much a turnaround situation uh, district outcomes weren't where they needed to be and, and still aren't at this point I mean we're, we're just two and a half years in. But I mean the bedrock of any district improvement strategy has to be what you're doing to shore up your early literacy uh, program. And so that that's really where we started. I mean, we, we dove head first into what we're doing in kindergarten, first, second grade, uh, and to make sure it aligned with, with the science of reading. But truthfully, uh, we I am not one to do a little bit at a time. Uh, it's a downfall at points, but we, we dove in kindergarten through 12th grade that first year and and made sure that what we were doing across the board aligned with everything we knew to be right in terms of teaching kids how to read.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because it's always a catch-22 a little bit because if you start right, that's great, but you can't give up on those kids that are, you know, in middle grades and, and high school grades, uh, just because they didn't get the right start to begin with.
1: Right. And and that's the way I look at it. You know, every kid is only in one grade, you know, one time, uh, unless obviously kids repeat grades, but, you know, they don't have time for us to take 10 to 12 years to phase in one grade level at a time. So we took one big bite and, and we're trying to make it a little better every year.
0: Yeah. That's commendable. Um, I think I was talking with Tim Shanahan in a prior episode, and one of the things that I think when kids get to middle school is you sort of forget that, you know, learning to read is something that you can teach anybody. They don't have to be in kindergarten or first grade, right? Like if a kid doesn't know how to read or decode or lift the words from the page, you can you can really start anytime when they're sixth grade, eighth grade, twelfth grade.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, and we've we've talked a little bit about that, you know, the students that we have right now that are in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they they didn't benefit from what we've put in place in the early grades. So, um, you know, we've had to give our, our school staff a way to back up and triage, in, in a sense, when they do have students that have decoding issues and how to identify those. So you have to have a plan for the students that you missed, but know that in the long run, you've hopefully... Uh, corrected a lot of those gaps
0: yeah well when you talk about taking sort of this the big bite of Mm k-12 what exactly did you do then to shift this literacy focus then to the science of reading
1: sure well you know the easy way to think about it is the the simple view of reading and, and making sure that as a district we're we're checking two big boxes do we have students Uh, working daily uh, to build their decoding skills in early grades and then across grades are we are we doing something to to work on language comprehension so building background knowledge building vocabulary so that students then can decode and then understand what they're decoding and really comprehend what's being read and so our first year uh, in kindergarten through second grade We really didn't do a lot in the way of piloting materials. We pretty much just picked up with Amplify's uh, skills and and read aloud materials and and started running down that path pretty quickly. Uh, We we implemented the read aloud materials across the district that first year. Uh, We did do a pilot with skills with a small group of teachers. We pulled some kindergarten first and second grade teachers and let them really help help us chart a course in terms of what supports teachers would need. And, and then a lot of it was kind of funny. Uh, it kind of spread like wildfire. like we would pick a few teachers, and then everyone else on their grade level team would would want to do it as well. So then the principal's calling me like, "Where do I buy this stuff at? You know, I've got a couple first grade teachers, and the rest of the team wants to do it as well. So we we quickly went from a controlled pilot to a pretty large pilot. That, that first year with skills. And in in other grades, 3rd through 5th grade, uh, we really leaned into ed reports. We looked at all green materials and allowed for a pilot to take place with a few selections in 3rd through 5th grade and then 6th through 12th grade. And by Christmas of our first year in the district, we'd made selections and were in the process of acquiring books and the uh, curricular materials so that really that spring of 2018, just six months in, we we had curriculum in place across the district for 13,000 students.
0: Wow. You know, as you were telling a bit of that story, I was thinking about this idea of, you know, we hear teachers aren't trained in the science of reading, the change management process is difficult because teachers don't understand how to teach this way or want to teach differently. Did you encounter any of that? teacher resistance or questioning or uncomfortable nature of sort of changing your approach?
1: Our teachers were really hungry for resources. We serve a a student population that roughly 70, 75% of our students live in poverty and, and face a lot of challenges. And our teachers knew that they needed resources in order to really get the job done at a high level. So by and large, our folks did a great job of really pulling up to the table, and, and taking a good hard look at what we were asking them to do and, then, and doing it as best they could. What I have found is that as teachers begin to use these materials, they're very instructive in and of themselves. So as teachers are reading a unit overview or the lesson materials, the, the materials do a great job of educating the teachers on the approach and why things are done a certain way As they use them so I wouldn't use that as an excuse not to provide training we certainly did that we've worked with amplify and other uh, service providers to two or three times throughout the year bring in uh, outside sources of, of knowledge from the district and to put them in front of our teachers and make sure they have those learning opportunities but I really think the best learning takes place in that weekly planning process, teachers sitting together, going through the materials very uh, intently and purposefully and, and trying to take it all in.
0: So that that would be sort of a shout out to the high quality instruction materials movement?
1: Yes, yes, 100%. I've learned quite a bit just from reading through unit overviews myself uh, as we've prepared for different phases of implementation. It's, it's really great.
0: Yeah. And so then you must have a, within the district, a sort of structured system, if you will, of PLCs or grade level times that the expectation is teachers are meeting together and planning together.
1: Yes, we do. And that that's probably where we've spent most of the time planning is how many different ways can we support our teachers as they work to implement these materials. And uh, a lot of it's not rocket science. It's just rolling up your sleeves and making it happen. So Our schools, once a week, provide time uh, during teacher planning time when that collaboration can happen. Uh, It's led by an instructional coach or an assistant principal or principal in in many cases. And we have a common set of questions that they work through. There's only six or seven, and they're, they're based on how to get teachers to really internalize the most important elements of the lesson so that that then aids their delivery. So that takes place on a weekly basis. Then a couple times a month, schools will offer after-school sessions where this takes place. We've set up cross-district uh, PLCs where teachers from the same grade level can meet together on a monthly basis to collaborate and talk about you know, how it's going at their school. And then, like I said, two or three times throughout the year, we have professional development days where we'll pull in all teachers from a specific grade level uh, at, to meet with a trainer uh, from a from a partner.
0: Mm, interesting. And then, would you say that structure is in place, kindergarten through fifth grade, kindergarten through eighth grade, or are really just like you've hit this hard with a K twelve approach?
1: It's across the board. Yeah, it's That's kindergarten great. kindergarten through twelfth grade, and then all of that is then supported by. Uh, the the weekly and monthly coaching conversations that take place between the instructional coach, the assistant principal, the principal, and the teacher uh, through you know classroom visits.
0: Yeah. So you really have all hands on deck, if you will. Leadership is involved in this. Coaches are involved in this. Teachers are involved in this. So everybody knows it's a it's a real point of of uh, improvement.
1: Yeah. There's there's no doubt what we. Hold to be the main thing. Literally, just today, I was in in schools with our high school principals doing norming rounds. So we pull all of our uh, high school principals in, and we visit classrooms just to make sure that we're all still looking for the right things. We pull up the lessons on iPads so that we can see what the teachers looking at and their manuals. Uh, we'll be doing the same thing tomorrow with our elementary school principals in K five classrooms. So it's just constant norming and constant learning about the expectations of the materials
0: that's that's awesome um i know i'm uh we will link our listeners in the show notes to these articles but you have authored several articles in EdWeek, mm-hmm. um talking a little bit about you know what what the hard part of this implementation and i'm going to paraphrase so you can go ahead and correct me <laughs> when when i'm wrong on this okay. but i know like like from what i've read you're saying it's it's not the hard thing and i say this in air quotes the hard thing isn't really understanding what it takes to become a reader mm-hmm. and the hard thing isn't really finding uh instructional materials right. it, did i read that right is that sort of what you were con- communicating there's something else that's even harder
1: yeah that that's definitely the first part the it's not hard to find great materials thanks to sites like EdReports reports and louisiana believes i mean you can spend about 15 minutes on there and and have a pretty short list of things that that you want to take a look at.
0: And teaching, understanding the science of reading and what it takes to become a reader, that's pretty well known now. So it's been, yeah, yeah. Thanks to Emily Hanford and others who have sort of highlighted that.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you want to look at, again, the simple view of reading or Scarborough's Rope or listen to Emily Hanford, I mean, you have various ways to to get the science of reading in a pretty distilled format pretty quickly. Um, the, the hard part is the implementation, the effective implementation, and sticking to that for not just a year or two or three, but for the long haul. Can, can you put your district or your school in a position where you're able to stick to a plan for a decade? And in education, that is almost unheard of so
0: yeah well so so you said how many years have you been into this implementation are you in year three
1: this is our third school year okay
0: so what did that look like for you like and when did you come to the realization that okay now i got the stuff in now i'm really starting the hard part of this so what did that look like for y'all
1: yeah well, like I mentioned earlier, I, I had a sneak peek when I worked for Instruction Partners. Um, I was there to help launch that organization, and we got to work with a lot of districts in their initial phase of implementation. So, got to see that done over and over and over again, and thought, you know, this is not really that difficult. Like getting the materials and launching your implementation is is not really that hard. It's sticking to it in the fourth or fifth year when your results are like just then starting to uptick uh, in a consistent way and, and the example I'll use is uh, locally some of our results so you know you can see a dramatic change in students decoding skills pretty quickly uh, when you start teaching those um, sounds and patterns I mean they, they pick up on that and students can run with that very quickly so for example In Jackson, in an average year before we implemented curriculum, roughly about 25% of our kindergarten students would score above average on a decoding or phonemic awareness assessment that we use district-wide. In our first year of implementation of the skills curriculum from Amplify, that number jumped to over 50% of students scoring above average, and then we did that again this school year. So... That, that's easy. I mean, obviously the teachers are working hard every day, but that's a very quick turnaround in terms of uh, looking at performance on assessment for reading. The hard part is reading comprehension. Those students have to continue to build their decoding skills and acquire background knowledge year in, year out for a long period of time in order for that to translate over into reading comprehension. So we've had these dramatic gains in our early grades, you know, screener data, but our third grade reading scores have only gone up, you know, 4 or 5% in a couple of years. So that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the plan. It just means that that knowledge building takes longer. It just takes time.
0: Yeah. And and when you're when you talk about like staying focused on the implementation, staying focused on the implementation, I would imagine that it looks different. I'd love for you to just talk to us a little bit about this. It probably looks different based on the year of implementation, but it probably also looks different based on the grade level of imp- implementation.
1: It does, um, you know, because kindergarten through second grade, for example, you've still got a pretty good window to, to fill a lot of, of gaps and have a student really c- close to grade level before they move forward. Once you get into upper elementary and you left a lot of the foundational elements behind, now all of a sudden you have to account for that in in an intervention setting while you're still making progress uh, in Tier 1 with grade-level text and grade-level standards. Then that really becomes uh, a different situation when you get into to middle school and high school uh, where you potentially have students with decoding problems because they never received instruction on phonics when they were in uh, early elementary. So, you know, in the long, in the long haul, uh, I think a lot of those things will be self-correcting as we continue to implement the, the plan that we have. But on your initial implementation, you really have to think through, how are we gonna adjust for a lot of these holes that we know exist? Because they do look a little bit different at, at various grade levels.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm going to pull something out of what you just said, because I think it's really important. And that's the when you get to the, the upper elementary grades or the middle grades, you just mentioned something about the challenge of intervention to fill gaps that kids didn't get from previous grades while at the same time mm-hmm. delivering tier one or grade level or core instruction. And so I hear many people try to do one or the other and not both. And how did you make that happen in your middle and upper grades? Yeah.
1: Well, again, I mean, I think it starts with having that commitment to what you're going to do in tier one and just saying that that time is sacred. We're going to do nothing else inside of that tier one time other than, Implement this curriculum which involves reading at or above grade level text and working with our grade level standards but like I said you got to you got to have a plan so what we did is you know since we knew um, a lot of this would be foreign to our middle and high school teachers in terms of teaching like foundational reading skills it's not something that you typically ask a middle or high school teacher or interventionist to do, right. is uh, we have a staff person that really went through um, kind of the basic elements of, uh, you know, different rules and, and different uh, sound patterns that students would encounter and almost created a cheat sheet for uh, intervention in order to really accelerate students to a point where they had enough of phonics background to um, start to make their way through some more complex text. So it's just been kind of a, you know, one step at a time process in terms of encountering a challenge and then identifying a solution.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that because, you know, this whole idea that all kids should have great uh, access to grade level text um, and rigorous learning expectations and holding the bar high, it's It's hard when kids are two or three years below grade level, and it can be, you know, if the entire system isn't focused on it, it can be a real challenge.
1: It is. And I'll give you one story that sort of illustrates why I'm so passionate about this. Um, When we implemented materials that first year, uh, in our upper grades, uh, in sixth grade, uh, one of the books that students read is Hatchet. Uh, And so... At the end of the year, a student comes up to the principal and says, I think they asked if they could keep the book or something like that. And the principal was like, why why do you want to keep, you know, hatchet? Uh, You know, a lot lot of you guys are ready (laughs) to be done with that. Student said, this is the first book I've ever read.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And they're in sixth grade. Wow. So that sort of speaks to how reading instruction has been approached through a lot of worksheets and, and, um, you know, reading strategies or finding the main idea or author's purpose without actually delving into text, uh, at grade level. And so I thought, wow, that, well, at least we know that will never be said again by a student in our school system, uh, because they're going to be able to say that at a lot, lot earlier age. Um, so that, that every time I, Think about that, it just sort of, you know, renews the, the commitment to what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. Now, every time I see the cover of Hatchet, I'm gonna go back and remember that story, because <laughs> um, that must, I mean, that's a life-changing moment for a kid, and that's that's all about what we're trying to do.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah. So we've talked a little bit of how teaching has changed for you. Um, how would you describe that in terms of the student learning experience? How do you think the student experience has changed?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, well, one thing I would say is that most of our most of our curriculum right now is definitely built around the foundation of research provided by the baseball study, and so all of our reading that takes place is is knowledge building. I think I think prior to that, students would come in every day, and they might be looking at something entirely different than they look at the day before. And so now, you know, as our students settle into a unit of instruction that might last anywhere from three to six weeks on very similar topics, uh, I think they're able to really develop a lot of, you know, expertise and, and really develop a comfort level with what they're reading about. So. You know, when we have a a fourth grade student that spends several weeks reading up on animal defense mechanisms as part of uh, one of our, you know, um, reading units in fourth grade, uh, they just develop so much more knowledge and are able to speak so much more confidently about what they're doing rather than walking into a classroom and, you know, not really knowing what's going to come at, come at them that day. And again, I can use uh, another anecdote to illustrate this. I was in a fourth grade classroom and a, a, st- a new student came in uh, that had transferred from another school in the district. And the young lady sat down and I just kneeled down beside her, asked her name, that sort of thing. And then I asked her what they were doing in their reading class in the school that she just left. And she said, we were reading the same book. Um, and so that student was able to come in from across the district, sit down and pick right up where she left off in another school. And that's all due to, you know, the curriculum implementation that's taken place, but also because they spend such a significant amount of time on the same topics to build that background and, and develop, you know, that level of knowledge.
0: Now, that's amazing. Yep. Um, and that speaks to, again, the hard part, if you will, that implementation of, yeah, it might feel like we're doing something in a lockstep approach, but look at how it benefits students, particularly if you have movement uh, within your student population. Right. Um, one thing that you mentioned and was uh, that you've based everything on the baseball study. For our listeners that aren't familiar with what you're talking about, can you give us just a 45-second overview? And I think we can link folks to uh, to that study in the show notes.
1: Yeah, so essentially, you know, the baseball study says that uh, regardless of your reading ability in a traditional sense, so we think about Lexile levels for that, uh, regardless of your reading ability, your comprehension and retention of information really has to do more with what you already know about the subject. So, for example, in the study, they had people, uh, kids who knew about baseball and didn't know about baseball. And then kids who read at a high level and kids who read at a low level. So, you know, common sense would tend to dictate the kids who are going to remember the most about what they read about baseball are going to be the ones who read well and know a lot about baseball. And you would think that the second group would be the kids who read well but don't know about baseball. But what they found is that the, the second highest performing group were the low readers that already had a lot of background knowledge on baseball. And so once you wrap your arms around that, it really dramatically transforms how you think about reading comprehension and scores on reading assessments. And quite frankly, how valid they are, uh, because so much of, of, of how a student does in terms of answering questions about a text relies on what they know about it to begin with.
0: Yeah. The background knowledge carries you carries you through. Um. Right that comprehension part yeah I, I love that when i first heard about that study too it it makes a whole lot of sense i even think about it for my my own life right like it's a lot harder for me to engage and comprehend a text that i don't have the background knowledge on so um, sure well yeah. and,
1: and i think you know a lot of folks listening particularly those who are accountable to state test scores it kind of gives you a, some trepidation to think you know what if the reading passages On your high-stakes assessment are on topics that your kids don't know about. Right. Uh, Versus what if you luck up and get four or five passages that align very closely to topics that they read about within their curriculum. Those are going to be two dramatically different situations in terms of test scores. I think there's a lot of implications we need to consider.
0: Yeah, I think there's some places that are even looking into that, like Louisiana, the state of Louisiana is looking into changing that. Yeah, that sounds like a topic for another podcast for sure. But I think
1: (laughs) that speaks to why you have to stick to your plan for so long, because if you base it on one or two years worth of results, you can't create a broad base of background knowledge on a variety of topics in one or two years. Sure. It's going to take five, six or seven years. And then hopefully after that amount of time, you start to remove the possibility of these huge upswings and downswings in your scores because kids, all kids in your district or your school have that broad background knowledge.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, you know, depends on what kids know too, when they come to us as kindergartners. And so being right. able to level that playing field is super important. Right. Um, So you've had some pretty positive reaction to this change from folks outside of your district. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you know, and again, our district context, uh, Jackson-Madison County uh, has definitely been underperforming in in years past in in several areas. And so we knew we had we had some work to do in this regard. So. Just for example, uh, you know, the, what I said about our kindergarten scores in, in terms of phonemic awareness on that skills test, that's just a dramatic, uh, dramatic upswing. And so once we start talking about those things and sharing those things, I, I tweet a lot and like to share a lot of uh, pictures from our classrooms and and those types of positive results on social media. Uh people start turning their heads uh, and want to come visit so you know in the last year we've we've had 15 or 20 districts uh, to come visit and just visit classrooms with us and see um, you know how these things are going and and, um, last year you know 90% of our third grade teachers uh, students met or exceeded their growth expectations uh, on their you know state reading assessment so those things are like that's powerful (laughs) yeah those things are real eye openers uh for a district again like I said that has struggled and continue we continue to need to make even more progress but people really latch onto those as proof points and it just creates more momentum behind the plan that's in place
0: yeah and I would encourage all of our listeners to follow you on on Twitter on social media and so we'll make sure that we We link our folks to to that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. It's just at Jared Markel is my Twitter handle. And yeah, we can include the spelling in that somewhere else. <laughs>
0: OK, yep. That sounds like a that sounds like a great idea. So when you have these districts that come in, which is I mean, that's just a powerful testimony, not only to what's happening in terms of student achievement, but the success teachers must and leadership must feel in terms of, you know, positive change and, and having other places wanting to come visit um how what kind of advice do you give districts? Like what does it take for a district to be able to replicate something like that?
1: Yeah. Well, the first thing, and I've and I've alluded to it earlier, is don't overcomplicate the material selection process. There's a few things that really check all the boxes. So look at those and figure out which one fits, ask your teachers their opinion and, and move forward. Um and then after that, you know. Think through how you're going to ask teachers to plan, you know, or are you going to ask them to write a lesson plan or annotate within their books? Um, you know, have very clear expectations on that. And then you have to inspect what you expect. So what's your walkthrough process, your feedback process, and all all of these systems need to speak, speak to each other. Then we just get in classrooms. I mean, that's, you know, we literally had one district to, to cut a visit short like in the middle of the day because they're like we've seen enough, we feel really antsy because we know we're not doing some of these things. Oh. <laughs> we want we want to get back and get to work, and I was like, "That's great. This was a successful visit." You know, I mean, it helped you clarify what you what you want to do. My favorite, uh, my favorite story, and I I think I mentioned this maybe in one of the Ed Week pieces, and then I have a, an article uh, coming out in the February. 2020 edition of Educational Leadership by ASCD. Um, We were in a kindergarten classroom and uh, it was about this time of year, maybe before Christmas, but this was two years ago. So this was one of our pilot classrooms and they were going over the sound for the letter L. And so the teacher was asking at the end of the class, just review for students to generate some words that include that sound. And one student said leaf. And the teacher was like, yeah, that's great. Uh, Anyone else? Another student raised his hand. He said, yeah, we talked about leaves before in our read aloud. We learned about evergreen and deciduous leaves. (laughs) Yeah. And this was, this was in kindergarten. So, you know, the people that were with us were like looking around, like, what are are y'all doing? Uh, And so, you know, it just so happened that was one of the domains that they had read about. They learned about different types of trees evergreen trees uh, deciduous trees and the difference and uh, it just speaks to how quickly kids get up to speed if we hold those high expectations so
0: that's a that's a great story and and super excited about that article coming out Um, again we'll make sure that we link our listeners in the show notes to that to that article sorry I didn't get a chance to read that before we chatted but congratulations
1: yeah well I think what I try to portray is that you know, it's okay not to have all this information um, because you can learn it all pretty quickly and and get up to speed. Um, I was a high school history teacher, so I really early in my career got to see the result of students not having a lot of these skills and background knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, to be able to go back to the beginning of that pipeline and say, this we can fix this. Like, there are solutions and we know how to do this. We just have to do it.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you saw, I mean, if you go back to the simple view of reading as a high school teacher, you probably saw both sides of it. You probably saw kids that were absent of the early decoding skills that they should have had to help them become fluent and the background knowledge.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of students that once they get to that level, um, you know, there there's maybe fewer that can't decode words, but you have a lot of students that can decode and call words and then get to the end of a page and have no idea what they read so that speaks to an entirely different problem
0: yeah yeah for sure um well as we sort of wrap wrap this up i do appreciate your time so much i know you're a busy man um i just like to ask a little bit different question than i usually do at the end and i'd like your opinion a little bit on really who you think needs to hear this message is it underperforming schools is it turnaround schools is it high performing schools like who is this message of science of reading and implementation for, in your view?
1: Well, I think the obvious answer is it, it speaks to everyone, but I think it's for different reasons. Um, if you're in a, a low-performing school, like you, you have to. like there, There's no other way around this. You, you're going to have to go down this path in order to get the results that you want. and what your kid deserve. I mean, this is just the only equitable way to approach a child's education. Um, If you're in a high-performing school, you may have convinced yourself that we're doing okay, like our test scores are pretty good, or our ACT scores are pretty high, but I would challenge you to look at the the demographics of your school, the income level of the kids. If they're coming from middle, upper-class homes, they're probably receiving a lot of the support that they need in terms of background knowledge from their parents and it may not be actually be baked into what the school or the district is doing so just imagine what your results could be if you did ensure that all students uh, were able to you know experience uh, systematic phonics instruction and an opportunity to build background knowledge throughout their k-12 years so don't be satisfied with where you are Where could you be uh, if every single student was guaranteed this type of education?
0: Yeah, those are really great words. I I appreciate it. And again, we appreciate you being on the podcast to share a little bit about your experiences, your implementation message. Thank you for the writing that you're doing. Um, Again, I said it before, but we will link our listeners in the show notes to the Ed Week article, uh, articles, actually, I think there's a few of them, um, as well as the new, as well as to the new issue of education leadership. So, thanks again for the work that you're doing for the kids in Jackson Madison and for kids across the nation.
1: Well, we've got a lot of great teachers here. We've got a great team in our central office, and we've got some great kids that are doing some exciting work in our classrooms. So, the you know the future is really bright for our school system as we you know keep moving down this path.
0: That's awesome. We will check in again with you at some point in the near future. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're so grateful to our amazing guests today and to all of you making a difference in the lives of students every single day. Be sure to check the show notes for resource links from today's podcast. And we want to hear your stories and successes. Follow us on Facebook at Science of Reading the Community, or if you're looking to help implement the science of reading, send an email to sormatters at amplify.com. Tell us what guests you think we should book or tell us about the research that really excites you. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Susan Lambert.